With the inception and traction that blockchain and crypto has gathered, the world is possibly on the verge of the largest evolution since the mainstream of the internet. Given the fluidity and dynamic nature of this technology, business leaders, enthusiasts, and veterans all need to band together to navigate the current and upcoming storms. Participants in Web 3.0 want a trusted resource that gives them pertinent information about projects, tokens, technology, and businesses. We are business people talking the business of crypto. We are YWales. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, Y Whales, wherever in the world you are today. Uh, so it is January 18th. Uh, the world is is still kind of trying to decide, are we in a recession or are we have we hit the bottom or up, down, left, right? Uh, Davos is going on. And so there's a lot of news kind of coming out there around climate change and all sorts of things. Um, but Thankfully, I am sitting here in my my office, hanging out with Ed and Brian, and we're going to talk about something that I believe is truly the future of of blockchain, um, where blockchain is headed, and, and that's the digital assets, um, not cryptocurrencies. Cryptocurrencies are, are absolutely fabulous, but most of those fall into the unregulated securities um, <laughs> division, which I believe the SEC is getting ready to make an announcement, uh, literally any hour on on some global changes to cryptocurrency market. Um, but that doesn't really do anything to digitize assets. Uh, those would be considered securities. They can be managed and monitored um, as securities uh, on the blockchain. And it really is kind of the future of, of commerce per se. Uh, I, I myself own a uh, real estate company, a title, a title agency, and a few other uh, real estate related companies. And so I can tell you that there is a drastic need for efficiencies, um, both in the residential and commercial sectors, not just national, but actually internationally as well. It's a it's a very heavy system, and uh, with that being said, you know, let me go ahead and give uh, Brian a quick second to to introduce himself, so you know my co-host, uh, and then and then Ed will come over to you. Yeah, Jay, thanks so much for having me um, back. It's always great to see you. So, Brian, I'm the founder of a fundless sponsor syndication investment platform based in Nashville, Tennessee, where we raise capital from private accredited investors on a deal-by-deal basis, typically medical office for light industrial flex properties throughout the Southeast and met Jay through YPO. Fabulous, fabulous. So Ed, um, as our guest today, Red Swan is really doing some amazing things, but I'd like to start off with a little a little history of kind of where you came from um, and kind of how you got to the, this point today of, of being one of the largest uh, digital assets uh, providers in, in the real estate space. Well, Jay, thank you for inviting me. It's a pleasure to be here, and I really appreciate you uh, bringing Brian as well, just because we have a lot of relevancy what we're doing together. Um, I started off in this industry in 2018, but prior to that, I was uh, executive director at Cushman & Wakefield in, mm. in terms of capital markets. So I sold a lot of apartment buildings, helped developers uh, build and, and uh, exit their strategy on apartment buildings. Uh, I've also dabbled a little bit in office buildings uh, on a personal level, so I've had a portfolio of office buildings. So I've been in real estate for 22 years. You got know all, you know all the inefficiencies. The, you, you, yeah, you've done it all. You, so. In real estate. And uh, one of the reasons why I got out is because the, the industry was getting very competitive. You know, it doesn't take much to get a broker dealer li- a broker license and get in the business and start selling real estate. And we were just competing against each other, driving the price of fees down. And I figured, you know, why keep working harder and harder for less? Uh, let's get in front of something that's going to be huge. And when I saw that the SEC legalized uh, tokenization as security tokens, uh, that was you know my cue to kind of make the exit towards uh, founding Red Swan. That that's really interesting. So let's take a second and kind of go backwards uh, a little bit. Because you know when you when you've been in the industry for twenty two years you've you've seen a lot, um, including a lot of you know changes in technology. Uh, way back way back when you started, you probably were faxing in uh, your MLS changes and 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 some of your orders to the title company and, and to mortgage companies. Um, you know, followed by email, followed by uploadings, uh, you know, FTP servers and and other things. You know how how do you look at the tokenization when we're actually talking about? taking the title and, and various assets and putting on chain um, along the linear progression that you've seen from, from again, you know, calling in orders most likely in the early days? Well, I think it's just a much easier process. I mean, it, you know, the, I think the real benefit of tokenization is that you're really not changing the title. You're changing ownership interests in projects, which means you're really reducing the amount of sale trans- transactions that we're seeing today. I envision with our, if we do a good job of tokenizing assets, 
you'll see less and less whole properties being sold because owners will have no reason to sell their properties. They can just recapitalize their equity property and continue being the GP. So the future is less brokers selling real estate whole and more transferring of ownership of real estate. Yeah, that's amazing. So, you know, one of the greatest things about about real estate is the 1031 like kind exchange, um, which, you know, generally, depending on who's in the administration, you know, may have strong or, or, or you know, hateful feelings towards. And so there's always kind of something in the air. But, but the concept that you're stating is that it wouldn't even come into play um, because the property itself would not be sold. You're quite simply selling your interest in the property, creating, creating a liquidity where generally today there, there is none. That's true. And that's the, the way the IRS rules are written today. But, um, you know, we're working with uh, groups like Ernst & Young who are looking at how that could possibly still affect the 1031 industry because you are trading real estate interest. Uh, and uh, if they can provide some way of giving credit for that in terms of 1031 exchange, uh, hopefully that will become something that will take place. But as of right now, you're absolutely right. It's a stock transfer uh, and there's no 1031 exchange. Yeah, amazing. So let me just do this before we dive too deep into these questions. And I want to give you a second to really talk, give the red swan pitch. Um, you're, you're extremely proud of, of your company and you should be. Uh, you, like I said, one of the top in, in the world of digitizing uh, real estate, especially commercial. Um, walk us through kind of you know how, how that got started and, and where you are today. Yeah, well, it happened in 2018. Um, I, this is my second time in the rodeo in terms of starting a technology company. And I remember my partner uh, with, from the previous company that, we, uh, that we, I founded and, and was actually venture-backed, uh, he called me and said, hey, you know, you need to go to this conference in, in Dallas. It's a blockchain conference. And I'm, I'm, you know, I'm senior in Christian Wakefield thinking, look, I'm so busy. I have no time for this. What's, what's by the way, what's blockchain, right? <laughs> and he tells me his technology, there's a new technology coming out. He thinks it's super cool. And this guy is, was my CTO, so he knows technology really well. He says, Ed, you got to check it out. You're going to love it. I know you. I know you're going to love it. And so because he pushed so hard, I decided to buy a ticket, fly to Dallas, and send this conference. And I was really impressed, not by all the Bitcoin and cryptocurrency was going back and forth, but I took, I was always thinking about you know real estate. So I took a walk through the exhibits and started talking to the exhibitors who were actually brought blockchain protocols, uh, people using blockchain for different use cases, DAOs and things like that. And I was really fascinated by it. And the first thing that came to my mind was capital market transactions, right? And uh, lo and behold, like I said, the SEC, I actually met two partners uh, who were there, my co-partners, co-founders, uh, <clears throat> who were looking, they were already doing um, real estate ICO companies. And they were successful doing ICOs with real estate. <clears throat> and they saw me and said, hey, you should, glad to meet you. I think you should be getting into ICOs. I said, no, I'm really into STOs. But they convinced me that they knew a lot about the business uh, in terms of blockchain. And so we sat down and had dinner and all of a sudden we became partners and that's how we launched Red Swan. That's fabulous. I love those entrepreneurial stories. Um, so one of the things, you know, as we start talking about, you know, taking and digitizing the, the titles and digitizing, you know, the, the assets, um, walk me through kind of what's being digitized. Is it the title? Is it a holding company? Is it, is it a REIT? You know, what, what, what is actually going on chain um, to provide the liquidity? Well, there are various, various structures you can use. You can digitize the debt. You can digitize the equity. You can digitize, you know, a shell company. You can, a lot of things you can digitize. But uh, we choose to digitize the equity because that's the hardest form of capital in the capital stack is equity. So uh, basically, you take a project, you verify the ownership, you verify the title. So you know that the proper owner and title is there. Uh, you can all do evaluation of the assets. You can understand what the true value of the asset is today. Uh, you then look at the equity, the debt side, understand what that is, subtract the debt from the true value. Now you have your net equity and we take that net equity and we digitize 100% of the net equity. Uh, and then from there, we can now allocate a certain portion of that equity based on our customers' needs. Fabulous. So, so we, it, we're on chain, we're tokenized, you've, you've given it to the existing investors or is it new investors that generally come in? At, uh, you tokenize for the existing owner. Right, okay. he's a sponsor, the GP sponsor. So you tokenize and create LP shares under a uh, different uh, um, vehicle, and then you can now issue those shares to uh, Reg S or Reg D investors coming in, and that capital now goes back to the principal as equity, uh, liquidity for his asset for selling his equity. Uh, so that's really what you're doing is just taking the shares, fractionalizing to a number of shares that equal 
the amount of capital he wants to raise, uh, and then issuing those to investors who are qualified to buy those shares. Fabulous. And, and again, uh, for, for everyone listening, you're here in Reg D and, and various um, SEC protocols, um, because you are following the laws. Um, you are, these are regulated uh, assets and you, you know, part of, I'm sure your services is to make sure that during this process and, and in future, um, you know, changes to the laws that you guys are, are managing and monitoring uh, to keep these compliant. Absolutely. So the process for making sure it's compliant with the SEC is first you start off with the uh, token studio where you're actually making the tokens and you're program, programming them in a way with using the uh, ERC-1400 standard, which allows you to you know, create a white table, white sheet uh, at this book for all the tokens you create, but also limits in terms of transferability, limits uh, in terms of number of tokens holders that can buy in. So once you've cleared all those re- requirements of the SEC, now you're looking for issuance. And then there's also regulations in terms of who you can issue the shares to. So uh, in the United States, you can issue people uh, who are investors who are accredited. And you know the definition of accredited investor. Uh, so as long as they're accredited, they can actually register and buy uh, tokens. Uh, if they're foreign investors, they're Reg S. They don't have to be accredited, but we have to do additional KYC on those investors as well to make sure they're not uh, on any AML list or OFAC list or bad boy list. Uh, that the United States uh, has posted. And if they clear those hurdles, they, in our site, they get a little green check mark that says they're able to now invest. Uh, and from there, we can now transfer the number of shares they want to buy based on the amount of uh, capital they want to allocate. That sounds way too easy. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure it's very complicated on the back end, but I love that. So, so let's, uh, Brian, I'm going to cue you up here and let's go ahead and use Brian as an example. Brian's, uh, you know, again, you heard the way he, his business operates. It's a case by case basis. So they're going to, they're going to find an opportunity. They're going to go forward. So, so Brian, give a, give a scenario and, and let's hear how Ed's going to, going to solve all the problems in your life. Yeah, I, I look forward to that. Ed, um, you're super familiar with my business model. We, we create single-purpose vehicle entity LLCs. So the only thing in that LLC is one particular asset. It has its own cap stack. We just do common equity. Everyone's listed out on the Schedule 1 of the operating agreement. And then we have a senior-secured lender, typically a CMBS or LifeCo or a a regional, super-regional bank. Um, And so it's fairly clean. My question for you, and I'd love to learn more, for a sponsor, being able to swap out equity would create this virtuous cycle, right? Where we're meeting new LPs, um, we're giving people liquidity, which is the biggest challenge in my pitch and, and for our investors. It is kind of the golden key that unlocks a lot of things. <clears throat> I understand the regulatory environment is fairly set in terms of what you've described. The bigger challenge in my mind when we've done some secondary interest sales or transfers is more from it was papered five, six years ago, right? And so the operating agreement, the PPM, and then what we filed with the SEC and FINRA says certain things about transfer restrictions. But the bigger challenge is really the lending debt environment, getting the lender to sign off on these type of transactions. And, and there's a lot of esoteric niche involved. But I'm curious, how have you been able to navigate that with sponsors? Sure. Um, first, you know, with regards to your existing structure with the PPMs you publish and distribute it. Um, because we're starting f- fresh, bringing new capital in, we create with our SEC lawyers a new PPM, one that uh, follows the blockchain protocols, all the disclaimers that you have to put uh, to the investors regarding you know, investing in blockchain technology. Um, and so once that's created, that becomes the overriding PPM. And so when we bring capital in, you're actually now paying off your old investors, right? Or you're, they're going to exchange their current shareholder interest for the new uh, PPM shares and new digital tokens are going to be distributed or they're going to be bought out so that the one you created goes off the door because they're now going to be gone. A new one emerges and this was not going to be now the guiding uh, PPM you're going to use going forward with these new investors. Um, yeah, your bank is the, is the uh, big elephant in the room. Um, and we've had very little problems with, um, you know, with regular banks, uh, regional banks, with, you uh, uh, HUD and for uh, also Fannie, Freddie, those type of loans, um, because they're really concerned about the collateral and they're concerned about also the key, the KP, the key property or GP partner. Um, so as long as you're not selling shares that are more than 20% of the equity interest for by one individual, 
you don't have to go back to the bank and get their approval. Um, and so they're comfortable with that. And also you're not infringing upon the collateral of the asset because they're very much concerned about that. Um, there are some guidelines we found from talking to or reading through various lending agreements. Uh, for example, CNBS uh, doesn't like you to, attack, to recapitalize more than 49% of the equity interest, uh, LP equity interest in your, in your uh, capital stack um, because they sell off the securities and they don't want to change that structure. But it is possible if you come to them and show them what you're doing and they can now charge you money and re redo it, they'll do that. Um, also, uh, who else is another restriction? Um, just basically the 20%, um, making sure that the GP is still the, the key person, key contact, um, making sure that everyone's been KYC is a big concern of the banks. But um, we're seeing banks call us now to ask us, you know, if we can help in certain scenarios because, you know, right now the market is, uh, I won't say upside down, but having some challenges. And so banks are looking for a way to lower their LTV, right? And so they're looking to see if they can bring outside equity to help lower that LTV because there's no other source for them to go to. Uh, they invested in something two years ago. The cap rate is up 200 basis points. Their LTV goes from 75 to 95 or 100. And so they're more concerned about bringing that down to balance. Otherwise, they're really in trouble. And I'm curious in terms of if, if, if I, a sponsor, come to you and I want to recap one of my existing deals, timeline process, fee structure, you know, how does that look? Um, first, it takes a good 30, 45 days, depending on your legal and your the support we get for information to do all the due diligence. We have, like I said, make sure the asset is verified, the value is verified, the land ownership is verified. The sponsors are checked out in terms of their backgrounds. Uh, all this due diligence has to be done. Uh, and let's say that's done in 45 days. And now we have created the tokens and they're minted and they're sitting in an in inventory in Red Swan waiting for distribution. Um, and then we start to market, put them on our platform and we start marketing uh, these shares. Uh, typically, it takes between 60 and 120 days. When we first started, it took six months to get, you know, the deal's done because it was so early in the marketplace. People didn't know what we were selling. They had to take a lot of time to figure it out. But now we're starting to see more people understand the tokenization, especially on the international side. Yep. Um, it seems like it's, it's getting done within, I'd say, six, 90 to 120 days. Um, we're working on ways right now to shorten that time frame um, by bringing on additional uh, distribution channels like family offices and, and uh, broker, security broker dealers from, on Wall Street for example. But uh, I think it will take this, the time period will be shorter and shorter uh, as we increase the size of our investor database, right? Right now, we're, we started off, we had zero. And first year, I think we hit 700. Now we're at 7,200 uh, and growing. And so that helps to really speed up the process because we know who to, to point to in order to join in on this particular transaction. And then on the on the fee side, is the the sponsor bears the fees associated with getting on your platform and marketplace, or is that get pushed through to the LPs? Uh, the fee is, is paid by the sponsor. We want the LPs to have a direct um, purchase uh, experience where their money goes right into the asset. Mm. And this one thing about blockchain, you're eliminating the middleman. Uh, so we have our sponsors like yourself pay the fees roughly four to five percent of the money that we collect is what you would pay um the charges to you that's the only charge to you outside of the initial engagement fee and depending on the size of your asset to for us to do all the legal work we use wilson sincini as our lawyers which one of the best uh lawyers and sec lawyers in the country um and we use uh ernst and young as our accountants and advisors for structuring deals and so that engagement fee covers their costs as well as our costs uh, and the cost of the tokenization costs to create the digital token. Uh, but then that's your cost. And then the second cost you pay is, like I said, the success fee. Uh, the cost to the investor, once they've bought the uh, uh, digital securities, uh, every year they're paying an annual um, asset management fee. And that's one and a half percent. And that's basically to cover the services of providing financial statements corporate communication, and also uh, dividend distribution, um, ATS dis liquidity, and also K-1 issuances. 
Oh wow! So you guys are you guys are very involved. Once once this uh, property is is in your platforms, you guys are. <laughs> yeah, partners. I mean, we 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 have to be. We don't want the sponsor to have any headaches, and so by you know, and the K one distribution is not an easy task, right? Because that's okay. my purchases it and they sell it, and it's sell it somebody else. They trace three or four times in a year. You have to track the date of their holding position and also who the new uh, holder is. But that could all be done on the blockchain because it's all recorded. And so there's a company out there called um, TaxBit that uh, helps to track that information. That's amazing. And you guys are using DigiShares um, as your as your tokenization platform currently. Um, we are. Um, we are. We've now. I mean, I'm announcing that we've consolidated all of our technology, so we now have everything in house. So oh, DigiShares is really focusing now on our Reg S. Uh, we have an operation in Lagos, Nigeria. For international investors, and it's a, using a different uh, protocol together, and they were working with us on that. But for all the U.S. sales that you see on our website, um, we're doing this all internally now. Congrats! That's fabulous, yeah, and and that's one of the benefits of of this is that you're not really using proprietary technology. It's it's open source, and and while somebody may help you get get to you know a, a ground ground zero and and maybe the, those first couple steps, you can absolutely take over from there once once you understand it. Um, you know. Brian, I'm sorry if, if I cut you off. If you had more questions related to uh, going down this path, well, I've got a lot more questions. But you know, I, you you did an awesome job um, answering uh, the one kind of uh, issue that I, I'm curious to your kind of response to is valuation. Is just third party valuation kind of on the marketplace, and then once somebody makes a bid at a certain pricing, it gets locked in, or how does that? all work for the secondary sales oh for secondary okay so primary you know about we basically do evaluation of the asset and we can put the price on and sell those tokens at a dollar um on the secondary side it's going to be bid ask right so we we um use a company called invinium that tracks all the financial statements uh to the token but also we can give the tokens deliver them to them on a quarterly basis i'm sorry the financial statements on a quarterly basis so the investors know the change in value of the asset, right? That's very important. They know that it was making NOI of a million dollars last year, and now it's making an NOI of a million uh, two fifty. Uh, so now they figured that they can drill down and know the price of their share has gone up prorata. Um, our broker deals would give them advice as to what they would list their shares at, uh, what we think the market value is, but it's ultimately up to uh, the investor who's coming in to uh, bid against their ask for liquidity. Has there been, you know, to, to me, I think there's a big difference between commercial and residential. And, you know, commercial, this makes all the sense in the world because these are big assets, they're heavy assets. And you saying that you can provide liquidity in 90 days is is unheard of. Um, you know, I've got commercial properties that like, you know, it takes a year to close, not because neither party doesn't want to, but you've got so many different variances and, and everything else that can get involved. But, um, you know, Residential, uh, I, I see all the time come through our, our title company and others, and it's it, some people tokenize these things, and the first thing we have to do is undo that <laughs> because title, you know, the the uh, the, the uh, mortgage companies won't won't uh, fund, and the title companies won't insure. Um, so that's great that they went through that tokenization process for the residential for this residential property, but now they want to sell it, and all that work has to be undone prior to going to the next owner. Um, and those are single family uses, um, single, single family homes. So in, in this, in this process here, um, you're saying that as long as the lender is okay with it, you can transfer as much of that tokenization process as you want. Uh, if, if the buyers, you know, are, have the liquidity to, to match that. Yeah. So once you've determined what the net equity is of the sponsor, like Brian, uh, you can now sell those shares to other investors coming in. And then if they want to exit, if they're U.S. investors, they have a one-year holding period. But after that, if they want to exit, they can sell their shares to the open market for whoever wants to buy it as well. So always providing that continuous liquidity option. And it always also for Brian, it provides him with perpetual equity. I mean, you know, Brian, you know good well that as you take on every project, uh, there's a maturity process where you do you add your value, you hold it, you stabilize it. Now you're looking to sell it. And when you sell, that's when you actually get your capital gain and your your profit sharing or your earn out on the project. Well, that's out the door now. If you tokenize this project and you issue the, the capital out, 
you're bringing 80, 90% of your capital, your equity at that value back to your pocket. You're still the GP of the property. And every year, once that property performs above you know, your hurdle rate, you're now splitting every year with that profit. So you're issuing dividends, you're taking your 40, 50, 60% split uh, as long as you're over the threshold that you promised, which is better than waiting five, seven, five years, seven years. Because look at today, you bought an asset two years ago, you're stuck. You can't sell that asset because cap rates have gone up. You'll be selling it for a loss, right? So this makes a lot more sense for you know guys like Brian to be able to stay in this property, ride out the wave, but be able to have liquidity because we all know cash is king, especially in markets like today where you want to buy more assets uh, at a discounted value, but still not be you know pressured to sell your asset. Brian, I'll, I'll let you have a turn. How much do the capital markets and investment sales brokerage houses hate you? <laughs> We're going to find out real quick because we just uh, we just issued an RFP uh, to the you know, top fifty brokers houses in the country. Uh, we're looking for additional partners for distribution, so we sent out invitations for about eight hundred twenty-five million dollar tranche um, to entice them to start working with us, where we're paying them to sell the shares for us. We want to, like I said, close that timing gap, and the best way to do that is if I were to. No matter how much capital I raise for Red Swan and start hiring an army of brokers on our team, it would take time for us to train them and be able to uh, handle the volume that we have. And we we currently have about eight hundred million dollars for the bid activity on our site. Just people saying, "I want this, I want that." Right. Um, so, in order to be able to provide that liquidity for ourselves, going through the uh, traditional broker dealer uh, channel makes a lot of sense. And so, we want to work with them. We want to teach them how to start selling digital assets as opposed to analog assets of the same quality. A lot of education. Yeah, I would I would imagine the kind of Cushmans of the world and, and CBs, the investment sales teams, this is really going to disintermediate that business pretty substantially because there won't be, to your point, that kind of transaction volume that they're used to. Yeah, owners wouldn't have a, you know, a compelling reasons want to sell their assets. They'd rather pull their equity and hold their assets. Think about it. You spend a lot of time searching for a property, a lot of pursuit costs going after a property. You finally get one. And if, if you have the wrong investment part, equity partner, uh, within three years, they want their money out. And they're saying, sell it. You haven't, or you haven't made your earn out yet. They say, sell the asset. It's time for us to get our money back. You did all that work to make no money, right? So I think they're going to really appreciate this process a lot better. It's more friendly towards the sponsor. Yeah, I agree. So what um, talk? So we were able to do uh, a single property, um, you know, and you have all those things there. Can if I want to raise, I want to go purchase a property. Are, are we able to use your your platforms to do fundraising? Not right now, just because of the speed and the timeliness of uh, the transaction for an acquisition, and also um, we don't believe in. At least I don't believe in tokenizing an empty shell, right? And so if Brian says, "Hey, I want to go acquire a property." Well, Brian and I both know that, you know, 50%, if not higher, don't get done, right? They fail. They fall out of contract, whatever happens. Uh, so that'd be a wasted effort to do all that work tokenizing a shell that doesn't happen. Uh, plus, we don't want to tokenize a shell because there's no, there's no asset there and we're asset-backed securities. So uh, we're focusing on recapitalizations. We're also focusing on new development projects where the land is uh, part of the equity proposition. Mm. Um, so those are the two cases that we use right now. But eventually, like I said, when we have 250,000 investors and they're hot to buy things, invest things, we can put a, a project up that we know is under contract and ready to go and be able to help you know, folks like Brian to close that deal out. Very cool. Right now, we're working on the low-hanging fruit. <laughs> no, no. And, and again, that's why we're, we're asking these. Um, my next one will be REITs. Um, real estate investment trusts. Um, so it's a different vehicle. Um, are, are you, how are you managing or are you managing those? Um, matter of fact, we're talking to REITs right now. Um, I was invited to by EY to go to the REIT conference in November in Palm Springs. Uh, and that was an eye-opening experience. Uh, they asked us to speak and enlighten them on tokenization. The public REITs don't have much of a problem because they have a venue for exit. The private REITs have a problem because they have to, you know, put up, put together a NAV then they have to do you know, a redemption process. So they're promising to give liquidity to their customers. But every time there's a run on the bank or you know, COVID hits and people want to get their money out, or right now people want their money out, 
they have a hard time coming up with liquidity to provide that uh, that service to the customer. So we're looking at ways we can tokenize or read assets so that they don't have to worry about the the, the uh, disposition process. They can let the customer come to our ATS and sell their shares that way. And that way they're totally free from that requirement. That's fabulous. Yeah. Um, Brian, we'll keep tag teaming back and forth, Ed. <laughs> You're doing great. No, I mean, you know, this, this is kind of, Real real estate, U.S. real estate is would be the biggest market in the world, right? If we were able to kind of unlock this liquidity, we've all kind of heard the numbers in terms of thir- roughly 13 million accredited investors in America. Less than you know five percent have exposure to direct private equity or direct real estate outside of their primary residence. How do you think about the kind of the total addressable market? We can just talk domestic to start with. And are you on the capital raising side? Are you using kind of the playbook that some of the kind of Obama Act crowdfunding websites have used? How are you thinking about building out your distribution list? I know you mentioned broker dealers, but I'm curious if there's other, you know, high um, in the sky thoughts you might have. Um, we, the biggest part with that is education of the investor, the end user. Um, and we came out with the model that we wanted to make sure that real estate investment was affordable for everybody so that. You know, the, our lowest common denominator was a thousand dollars to buy an asset. We found that that was just too difficult to manage because there's so many small investors want to put a thousand dollars in it. It just eats up the time. Uh, so we started really focusing on family offices who are bigger check writers, uh, institutional investors and high net worth investors. So we just raised the bar from a thousand to, you know, 25,000 or 50,000 or even a hundred thousand certain deals. Um, and that's really the channel we're going after. And we created uh, two funds, you know, a value add fund and also a core asset fund. And we're going to probably have um, a, uh, a uh, affordable housing fund. But the funds are valued at $1,000 for those investors who don't know what they want to invest in. Maybe not be that they're not that savvy. They can buy into the fund, which is now buying a pool of our digital assets as opposed to just buy into one. But we're really starting to focus on the higher level investor because, Institutions are very excited about uh, tokenized inventory because of the speed of access and speed of liquidity, uh, as well as family offices because they make a lot of investments in, in proper projects like yours. But they don't want, they, even though they're long term thinkers, uh, they want to have the ability to pivot if necessary. Like COVID hits and you see hospitality going down. If you <laughs> didn't have liquidity or didn't have a digital asset, you are stuck until they can sell that property, which is still on the market, right? But if you had digital assets at that time, you can offer your shares for sale with a little bit of a discount and you'll be have liquidity and you wouldn't have to go through that problem that most are going through right now. So what what's the biggest challenge that you're facing right now, either either technically or or legally, you know, with with this lift or, or possibly education? Um, you know, what what's the biggest, you know, kind of you know, brick wall that you run into when you're going through this process? Well, uh, education is very, very much a big challenge for, you know, I wish I had more guys like Brian out there that were aware of uh, token and digital assets um, because it'll be easier for me to articulate the benefits, right? Most of the ones I was able to convert and we converted about almost 40 properties where people I knew, they know me, they know that I've helped them. I've been in the business for a long time. So they trusted what I'm saying and I, they know my level of competence. Uh, but there are so many, they're so used to doing things only one way that you mention any word that happens to sound like technology where the, you definitely don't want to say tokens, right? They think crypto. You don't want to say blockchain because they think Bitcoin, right? So anything you say that's on a technical level, they just uh, they go <laughs> right over their head and they just want to leave it alone right there. They don't, oh, you, you got me there. Ed. Just to stop right there. I'm not interested. Right. Um, but now you're seeing the bigger companies, you know, the Goldman Sachs, the Black Rocks, you know, the KKRs, they're doing it. They're doing it. They're, they're in it in a big way. Right. And so that's how I'm now teaching, uh, you know, the mid-level managers and sponsors that look, Goldman's doing it. Look, KKR is doing it. Look, Heinz is doing it. I mean, you're missing out. Two years now, you're going to be out of business or be fairly hurt because you're not educating yourself, right? And, you know, just like when websites came out and people say, I don't need a website. My website's right here, <laughs> right? My computer's right oh, here. Yeah. Well, you know, they're not around anymore because the, the websites and computers definitely were much faster in terms of handling and processing customers. 
And the same thing with the blockchain technology, just much, much more superior in terms of what results it can get. So, yeah, I would say education is the biggest uh, challenge. And for us, (laughs) raising capital is also a big challenge because there's a lot of money out there, but they all want to see it like already working and scaling up. And it is. So we're happy that it's starting to scale up now and the price is much going to be much higher. But that was a big challenge, just getting people to understand this is something you need to bet on. Um, But I, I think it's all changing. Yeah, and something I want to give a little color on for anyone that does not understand the commercial real estate market uh, in the U.S. or, or abroad. Um, in the United States, there is no like national MLS where there's a, a single source of all commercial real estate, all commercial deals, like a Zillow or, or anything along those lines for for residential. Where where you know a, a, anyone can go on and just say, "Show me every single commercial property that exists." It, it doesn't happen. So what you have is these very fragmented, um, you know, kind of. I, I've never understood why, but but you have large brokerages and you know CRE and others. They just hold their 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 inventory on their books and they keep it very private. And they may post it on their website. They may not. Um, there may be an incentive to sell it. It may be empty, and they they don't care about selling it. So so to me, this is like the industry that. Before, even before the residential real estate market, absolutely needs this disruption um, because you have these these you know insanely expensive, insanely uh, valuable properties that if you go with the wrong broker and you don't have liquidity, you know they're 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 not worried about selling it. They're not worried about promoting it. There's no real way for them to nationally push that out unless you're going to one of the trade shows, um, and those don't happen every single day. So it's 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 this is an industry that has resisted web has resisted centralization of inventory. Um, and so it's literally, in, in my opinion, they're going to skip over Web 2 and go straight to Web 3 because it actually clarifies so many of the problems that they just, for whatever reason. Um, Brian, have you kind of felt that pain? Of like, the, the it's like you got to be Sherlock Holmes to find a property sometimes. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's, it's a weird industry. And Ed, you've been in a long time. It's a very low barrier to entry. Right. Anyone can come in and get a broker's license and start doing deals. Someone like me can just go out there and start kind of raising under the right um, reg um, uh, offering. Um, but at the, at the same time, it is a very old school place run by a bunch of 65 year old guys in a, in a boardroom somewhere. And yeah, it, they are resistant to change. And if you take a look at, at everyone who's listening has probably bought a home before. If you think about the, the closing checklist or the settlement statement, you look at all these third parties there feeding the deal out, you know, there's not a lot of incentive there to create kind of a better experience or a more efficient experience for the end user. And that's really what this technology can do is kind of reduce that friction cost, makes things more efficient. Um, getting the big banks and, and the Wall Street guys kind of on board is a huge step because it'll normalize it. But I do think it's going to, it's just going to take some time. Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, you think about the average cost to acquire a property as, as a uh, commercial property is probably around 9% or better, depending on how much pursuit costs you have chasing after properties before you find one. But when you find one and you need to close it, it's 7 to 9% cost. You title company, legal fees, broker fees, all these fees are involved, appraisal fees, due diligence fees. Well, we reduce that to zero, right? Because now the borrower doesn't have to pay any cost. They just buy right to the to token, they buy their shares. They get all the benefits of ownership without having all that upside cost, which you're right. That hurts the industry in terms of, you know, um, in terms of reducing uh, their potential earnings. But uh, it benefits the sponsor and it benefits the sponsor's investors tremendously, which is why I think this is why I'm in the business. I think it's just a way... It should be. Go for it, Brian. I see, I see you ready to go. <laughs> um, well, and, you know, I think a big misconception talking to other GPs and sponsors, um, they're very worried about this pace of change, right? And how technology will change their business and industry. I think it's important to realize that um, if, if, Ed were able to kind of wave his magic wand and this were all to occur overnight, there's still a need for kind of best in class institutional asset managers, boutique GPs and sponsors that really know their business very well. Someone still needs to manage the assets. These investors don't want to worry about changing light bulbs or toilet paper or negotiating <laughs> leases, right? That's what they're paying you for. 
And so it, it, it's just going to look different, but there's still a huge need for kind of the asset management GP sponsor uh, to be involved at the end of the day. Absolutely. And, and there's also need for, you know, sharp brokers, real estate brokers who know what they're doing because they can help put value. They can help refer. I mean, it's all about knowing the resources that are going to benefit your client. And if tokenization is resource that will, is a better fit, all that referral business is income for them. All that valuation is also a potential uh, consulting income for them. And so and there's everything in between. They can possibly do to help that transaction take place. Or they can even get a broker-dealer license and become part of the trading process, right? So all that's still wide open for uh, brokers who are in the industry. There's no need for them to just retire. I think they just need to lean in and re-educate themselves. It's fabulous. So, so real quick, uh, just a quick question on the technology. So you're, you're putting these shares out there and um, are they going into the, the client's wallets or do you guys custody for, um, for the investors or is it a mix of both? We can custody for the investors. We prefer to give them the wallet and let them self-custody. So uh, they can create a wallet on our platform. It's really easy. Just using your, your email address, you can create a wallet and okay. you can store your securities. And keep in mind, with digital securities, when you put your your uh, token shares uh, in a wallet, uh, it's not like Bitcoin. If you put it in the wallet and somebody steals your wallet and steals a coin, it's gone for good. No, we can we have all the shareholders on a cap table on the blockchain. So if anything's lost, we can burn those security tokens and replace them. So the wallet is just a convenient place for you to look and see what you have, as well as our dashboard tells you are your ownership. But the wallet also allows you to move your your uh, holdings from one wallet to another or a custody department or whatever you want to put it is just more portable. Yeah, and I, I think this is the the part where the, the DeFi DGENs really kind of get out of alignment with what's being done here. Because at the end of the day, um, these are securities. They they have real-world value and they also have real-world consequences for, for these being lost. Um, and so you have to do this. It's, it's not a choice. Um, you know, Brian, if... if Brian issues shares to someone and, and they call and go, hey, there's there's an there's an issue. Um, you have to correct that. That's 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 kind of the issue. So I don't I never see a problem with that. Um, I always like to make it aware, you know, people aware that this is not like if you go put a million dollars into into Red Swan and you make some investments and you you lose your seed keys or whatever's happened, you're gonna call Red Swan and they're gonna fix it. Um, you're, you're not just kind of, you know, SOL, which is, which is, you know, again, I think the biggest difference between what's going to be occurring with these real world assets and digital securities compared to crypto, you know, cryptocurrencies, which is you lose your seed key, you click on the wrong link on your email and, and you get hacked and it's gone and there is no, no one to call. And, and, um, you know, there, there is no guarantee of anything. So, yeah, that's, that's true, Jay. And that's some of the education that I'm talking about. You have to let the, the public know that, these inherent risks you have with, with cryptocurrencies are not the same as digital assets or real estate. But right now they think it is because they've heard so much of the bad news with you know people that they trust to custody their assets that all of a sudden go bankrupt. They think the same thing can happen with us. No, I mean, you have your assets. They're recorded on the blockchain in your name. So uh, that's probably the safest place for you to hold your asset. Absolutely, absolutely. So as, as we kind of come towards a close, um, you know, I'd, I'd really love to, you know, Ed, if you can expand on that a little bit, you know, what, what are you, um, you know, the future of this is again, there's so many, I, I hate to use the word dead assets, but essentially stale assets that are sitting on books, they're paper, they're, they're in shelves. And, you know, there's, there's all this real estate that does need new investors, does need new life, new use cases. Um, but, but a lot of times, you know, the, the owners, and I, I, I suffer from this as well, it's a heavy lift to sell these things. And, you know, sometimes you can just say, well, I'll just keep it for one more year. I'll extend the lease on that. And, and I may not, I'm not the best owner and, and that, that uh, tenant may not be the, be the best use case. So you end up not making the best decisions because quite simply, you don't want to go through um, the, the sales process, which can be onerous and, and quite expensive. Uh, in fact, very expensive, depending on where, uh, where, where your loan and, and where your nav is. Um, so Ed, with, with that kind of in mind, what's your, what's your thoughts on where the future of this really is going? And, and it could just be tokenizing everything. <laughs> well, I think tokenizing everything is probably uh, correct because there's many assets in the financial industry that are being tokenized. Goldman Sachs just announced last week that they launched their tokenization platform and they're tokenizing financial instruments, right? Uh, so for them to create their own platform and launch it 
tells you, and they're a major, major financial institution, uh, that tells you where things are going. Um, and so every instrument that people are can trade, I think is going to be tokenized. When you get down to like residential homes, it doesn't make a lot of sense because you're now breaking or you're, you're running against the securities laws because you tokenize your home to issue it to investors. You're now making a security, right? Yep. So it doesn't make sense to make a security out of a home that has no income, no revenue, or are you going to turn it into a rental property? Okay. Now you're going to turn a single family home into a rental property. It's just you know, kind of cumbersome. But I think when you start looking at the commercial real estate industry, there's a, you know, trillions of dollars of projects that are sitting there uh, that is just stale assets, stale cash, right? You're having cash locked in a property for 15 years, right? Yes, it keeps growing and growing, but it's locked in that asset for 15 years. Think of what you can do if you can still have the asset and pull 90% of that cash out, right? You can buy probably four or five more properties. So I think oh, yeah. that's that's really the goal is to allow people to have that freedom uh, to pull their capital out and redeploy it, but still be able to manage because they're good GP managers like Brian, manage your portfolio very well and help your investors you know, create more wealth. Love that. Brian, as we as we kind of bring this towards a close, uh, your, your thoughts and warnings uh, from this podcast. I appreciate you joining me. Yeah, no, Jay, thank you as always for, you always have very thoughtful uh, guests and content. Um, you know, this is something that we've explored quite a bit. I've had some folks on my podcast as well who are in this space. Um, I think you're the most sophisticated and articulate person that I've spoken to on this. And so hopefully it does help get people educated because this is the future in my opinion, as we kind of round out the conversation, I'm curious as a, as a sponsor or in an LP, if you're on either side listening to this, what would you say would be kind of a, a signpost that there's capitulation in the market towards this? What's kind of the, 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 the big elephant in the room that, that you need to get over for there to be broad acceptance and, and really a large market participation on this. I think that, uh, first of all, thank you for the compliment. And that's why I decided to come on this because you, you had that conversation with Jay and you weren't aware that we, were, we even existed. And, you know, there's a lot of miscommunication out there. And so I'm really happy that we we're able to sit down here and, and talk about that and, and kind of set the record straight and enlighten you on what the opportunities are. But I think to answer your question, um, just the benefits of having, uh, you know, these digital uh, opportunities is kind of like you look at the TV route. You know, TVs were tubes, then they became, you know, um, you know, components, and then they became flat screens, then they became digital. Right? Digital TVs now allow you to watch almost three thousand different programs, whereas the tubes were five channels. Right? I think people have to look at the digital uh, real estate in the same capacity that it gives you so much more optionality uh, in terms of financial tools, in terms of liquidity, in terms of diversification in your portfolio. I mean, in terms of, you know, transparency, people buy REITs. Uh, they don't know what's going on in that REIT. They don't know all the costs that are being thrown in there by the management. They don't know the financial statements of each individual property. All they see is the end result and the, the yield they're promising. And they don't even know if that's produced from the assets. So there's a lot of misinformation and less and uh, very limited transparency and REITs. And so I think people creating their own ETF that's democratized like we're doing allows them just to buy what they want, right? And see the financial statements, buy the properties in your neighborhood, buy the properties in the towns that you like, buy what's relevant. And you know, that's the best way to make an investment is buying something that you are familiar with, right? As opposed to buying something somebody else tells you is great. So I think that's the, the big announcement I like to make is that all this is possible when you digitize the asset. I, I love this. Um, Ed, what's what's the best place people uh, to find you want to learn more or, or they've got a whole bucket of uh, real estate that they want to tokenize? <laughs> uh, my website, uh, www.redswan.io. So we have all of our properties are there. We have ways to communicate properties that you want to tokenize. Uh, also properties you want to invest in. So we encourage people to sign up. But on my LinkedIn to get private chats, I'm happy to talk to anybody about what we do. Uh, so those are the two best ways to reach me is through LinkedIn or to our website. 
Thank you for asking. I, no, absolutely. No, really, really thank you guys for the conversation. Brian, I really appreciate the time. It was very, you were very helpful to me on this. Um, Ed, again, you reached out, you saw Brian and I talking, and you go, no, no, they're, they're missing some things. And so I appreciate you reaching out and saying, hey, let me help educate you. Um, and hopefully we're educating our audience because I've, I've learned a lot here today. And I'm, I'm really excited uh, for what you guys at Red Swan are doing. I understand the lift you guys have to do because not only do you have to prove that your product is better, but you have to prove that your product is is you know real. Um, a lot of people have never heard of it, and so this in this new emerging asset class, you know, congratulations for being on the bleeding edge of this, um, doing it right. Do you know? Again, so many people just go, eh, you know, it's digital. Don't worry, we can we can skate skate the laws. Um, but everything I heard, you are following the laws. You have the correct legal uh, legal <laughs> representation, and you're also making sure your clients follow that as well. So again, congratulations to everything you guys are doing. Um, super super excited and and. Uh, Again, for anyone listening that wants to know more, uh, I would absolutely encourage you to reach out to uh, Red Swan. And by the way, if you're looking for investments, you want to kind of find something from the, the ground up, uh, absolutely give Brian a, a, a reach uh, reach out over there at Excelsior Capital. Brian, where, the, where can they reach you real quick? I'll give you a plug. Yeah, I appreciate that. Um, so Excelsior Capital, uh, best way, just like Ed said, I'm very active on LinkedIn. Uh look us up on a company or on a name basis and excelsorgp.com. We have a lot of content up there. I'd be happy to chat with any folks and want to learn more about what we do. Awesome. Well, I will I'm catch, catch you next up time. With you, Brian as well. I, I love Tennessee and don't have any Tennessee properties on our platform right now. So we should oh. talk. Wait, right. Yeah, let's do some business together. Ed. Let's get some deals going. I, I'll take good. I'll take a small commission for starting this up. <laughs> Why We're trying to eliminate that, Jay. We'll see you guys later. <laughs> Why Whales was founded in 2021 by Jay Steinbach, a passionate entrepreneur and business owner with the purpose of bringing YPO and YNG members together in the cryptoverse. Why Whales is a collaborative and confidential community centered around cryptocurrencies and blockchain technology, an exclusive crypto hub of more than 600 members. To be notified when we release new content, please subscribe to our show in your preferred listening app. For more information, visit www.ywhales.com. YWhales is not affiliated with YPO, but at this time only allow for YPO, YPO Gold, and YNG members due to privacy and confidentiality. Support and production for today's episode was done by Truthwork Media. Nothing in the podcast constitutes professional and or financial advice, nor does any information on the podcast constitute a comprehensive or complete statement of the matters discussed or the law relating thereto.